On today's episode of The Glue Guys, we will celebrate the Nets' first-round demolition of the Boston Celtics that is crumbling right now as we speak. And we're going to talk to Bilga Abiri from New York Magazine and Vulture.com, the film critic for those establishments. We did a special killer comparison, revenge movies to Nets' playoff opponents. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuysNetsDaily.com. The Athletic. Get yourself behind that paywall. Go to TheAthletic.com slash GlueGuys. Brian. Michael. It's the end of an era. It's the end of a the long... Nets are back. It's a long haul from beginning to end. We, we talked about this on the interview that we have that's coming up here with Bilgo. We, spoiler alert, it's already been recorded. But, you know, we did begin this podcast the eve of the Pierce Garnett trade. Literally that night, I called up Mike after, you know, how many years of not, of, of not speaking, of not being on speaking terms with one another, but basically. <laughs> and we were like, now's the time. You know, the bad signal was in the sky and we knew what we had to do. <laughs> And, you know, we we were full of, of piss and vinegar, and we thought we had the championship contending team. Yeah. Spoiler alert, that that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, here we are, not so many moons later, full circle. How does it feel, Mike? How is, does it feel like a like you, like closure a little bit for you? It's even better than closure, right? It's better because it's revenge, wow. as we will talk wow. about. Wow. Uh, it's revenge. I mean, it, it is truly to retrace those years. Right. The trade happens. It's almost universally um, accepted. The Nets got the better end of the deal. They got Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to add to Brooke Lopez and Darren Williams. That is uh, a a team that is impossible to beat. Jason Kidd was coach. Jason Kidd and all those players were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was an exciting time. And there were the Celtics. And at that time, we didn't value pick swaps we didn't really think about pick swaps in that way no uh, joe johnson was on the team too wow um wow. And, and and but yet all those years the nets had one good year and then they sucked uh the celtics quickly rebuilt their team they used those draft picks every lottery night they the there someone from espn would have to say the celtics are here early up high up in the lottery because Mm-hmm. Of the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce Street. Mm. And and so um, in all these years, it's not even death by a thousand cuts. It is um, death by a thousand tweets, Brian. Because we would have to suffer people talking about the, the next dynasty in, with the Celtics. And at one point, it seemed like the Celtics were going to have Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis leading the team. That the Celtics were going to get Anthony Davis and they'd be off and on their way and the Nets would suck forever. Well, how do you like me now, Brian? How do you like mm. them apples? How do you like them apples, Mike? That's right. As Cole Buckley might say, how do you like them apples? <laughs> old Cole. Yeah. Old 21-year-old Cole. Looking so innocent and dumb. Yeah. He's the, he's the Morgan of the of the crew. You can tell. He's Morgan. <laughs> Before we get to our interview with Bilga Abiri from New York Magazine and Vulture, we talk about a lot of fun stuff in that. Let's just do this one big thing, okay? Okay. How do you feel differently? from the beginning of the Celtics series towards the end in terms of the projection of this team. Did anything happen in that series sort of shake your foundational understanding and expectations of what the team is? Because I'll start, because I didn't prepare you for this. I I mean, I got something if you want. Okay, go for it. Well, I I thought there was a couple moments in there. I mean, in the the one game that we lost, I felt like we lost it in a very, um, like, correctable way. I will say that. And that that's when like there's a that's little a bit of twinge of doubt in my mind about Steve Nash's ability to see problems and fix them live and in real time. That was that was a, a thought that occurred to me. Obviously, he's he's a first year coach and that's that's all part of the process, but from the layman perspective, just a couple of 
couple of guys hanging out on the Discord. Shout out to the Discord and hanging out on the Twitch. Shout out to the Twitch. Um, you know, watching the game, it's like pretty obvious that like Jason Tatum is looking for Kyrie Irving in that high screen switch immediately, and he was getting really hot, and he just wants to shoot over people. Our defensive strategy wasn't really adapting for that, and I think until they put Joe Harris on him weirdly, in which they had he had enough size and height, like it was kind of the perfect match because basically we kept switching off on KD, Nick Claxton towards the end. Kyrie, all of them trying to kind of find a unique defender for him instead of just matching up like the most similar sized guy who was like an adequate defender, which I think ultimately was was Joe Harris, which was a good fit. But it took like basically losing the game to figure that out. Um, and that was suboptimal. Um, also, on the other side of the floor, we have a tendency to go iso ball without James Harden in in the lineup, which is an f- amazing, hilarious thing to be saying at, you know, based on James Harden's iso ball reputation at this point. But literally, the entire team goes into stagnation mode without him uh, facilitating. So it's a habit that I think we can, like, fall into, weirdly. It feels like a it's a habit that, like, KD kind of it's a thing that you want to feed into a little bit because him hunting for mismatches is a big part of our macro strategy. But if it's not falling, it takes us a long time to like adapt to like, okay, Katie's shots not going in for this period of time. How do we make this like worthwhile while he's still on the floor? Cause those are Katie's minutes. We gotta, we gotta be, you know, hitting the, hitting the accelerator whenever he's on the floor. So those are the two big sort of things that kind of came to mind, Mike. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a weird thing to be like the Nets one in five, and yet there are. We're perfectionists. You know, we're more concerns, yeah. but like I do, I I'll say it. I think there are like almost more concerns about the team defensively than I had going in. Like going in, I was poo pooing the fact that the Nets weren't that being that it was being said that the Nets weren't good defensively, because I had seen the Nets amp up their defense, and in fact, in games one and two of the series. The Nets held the Celtics to 93 points and then 108 points. And the 108 points was the game where the Nets were up by like 40, basically, in the fourth quarter. And they were just coasting at the end. Uh, and in those games, Kemba Walker was playing. And Robert Williams was playing. So, like, those games against the better competition, the better talent, um, the Nets had better, if not a pretty good, defense. The the concern is for me, and it will continue to be a concern, is that there's just too much of like the Nets um staying in front of people but not pressuring people on defense. Um they don't really force tough shots at long stretches of the game. They're basically kind of hoping they're like, the guy's kind of far away from the basket. I'm sure he'll miss. And then he probably doesn't miss because they're NBA players. Um so there's that element. So I'm a little concerned defensively. But here's here's the thing I'll hold it on to. All year long, as the Nets have had Harden not in the lineup, then in the lineup, then not in the lineup, then in the lineup. Kyrie in and out, going on his sabbaticals and coming back. Kevin Durant, COVID protocol, plays, hurt, plays, hurt, plays, right? Like as, as jumbled as they've been, the Nets have been really, really good against the best teams in the NBA. The Nets have been... I don't know this for sure, but I think they have a way better record than the Bucs against the best teams in the NBA than the Bucs do. And the Celtics, I think there's a level of arrogance with the Nets, which the the big three have, which is completely warranted, but they have a level of arrogance where they're like, Kyrie and KD are like, we've won championships, or a championship in Kyrie's case. Uh, Harden, while doesn't have that in his bag, he's like, I'm what was he, two-time MVP or MVP once or whatever it was. Um, They have a level of arrogance, and I'm sure they were looking at Romeo Lankford and Peyton Pritchard and thinking like, "Eh, it's playoff basketball, I know, but how can I get so engaged, right? Mm. Like, how could they be so fired up to play? And they still beat in games four and five. They won by 15 points and scored 141 of the game. And in game five, the clinching game, even as as like oh my I thought they were about to give up the game at the end, the the Nets still won by fourteen. So yeah. it's like I I think the Nets have shown that when they're fully engaged and they're going to be against the Milwaukee Bucks, that they're unstoppable and they do play defense. So 
yeah. I hope to see that. <clears throat> One other thing that I'll say is like a maybe I don't know if this is sort of setting up any analysis for next week or next show. I mean, um, but I will say that like Jason Tatum is a lot better than I than I was giving him credit for. To be I kind of underrated him to be honest. Like he hits really difficult shots all the time, um, I, and the way that he does it is actually like I think uniquely suited to kind of whoop on the nets a little bit. Um, mostly because I mean those are like just generally indefensible shots. Um, or undefendable, or I don't know. But um, I was thinking about them as like as a comparison for like Giannis, who doesn't play that way at all, and it made me actually a little bit more hopeful for that matchup <laughs> because like Giannis is uh, d- like doesn't have that like sort of range and you know ability to hit like falling tilting three pointers all over the goddamn place. Um, so it, I was like, at least we don't have to deal with that. That that makes me feel a little bit better about that matchup. Um, I'm, and I'm wondering, it's still DeAndre Jordan. I was I, I was wondering if he was ever going to yes. get those minutes against Tristan Thompson, who was pogo stick rebounding our our butts off. Never never saw any floor time. Is is that going to be the meme going forward, Mike? It's an interesting thought. Well, the, the Nets did have the Nets had DeAndre guarding Giannis in a couple of those games, and so. Is it that Nash was like, DeAndre, I know I don't need you for the Celtics series, but I may need you for the Bucks. So don't even think about playing for the Celt- against the Celtics. Like you can mentally prepare not to play, but I will utilize you in this Bucks series. Or is it that DeAndre Jordan's completely out of the road, like just gone? Yeah. He is untethered. He is in space. Possibly. He is George- what is it, George Clooney and yes. Sandra Bullock? Sun- like yeah. is, gravity. He, is he just yeah. gravity? Except there was no gravity in that movie. Did you know that? Um, Not till the very end when she lands. Spoiler. (laughs) Sorry. Spoiler. Um, Yeah, so, you know, DeAndre Jordan just may just be gone, gone, but he he should have a role against the Bucs, and we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that. One other small sort of note to, to sort of talk about with the Celtics series is that you know, we got so few minutes with the big three where they actually played together. Mm-hmm. And you you touched on how it's one of – at times it gets into ISO, whatever. Though, with those three guys, if any of them are going ISO, it's probably going to work out, right? Like, they are yeah. the three three of the best ISO guys in the league. Um, I still think the Celtics weren't good, but it still showed you that the meme that the, the Nets lineup is like is just like three – little satellites going by themselves, you know, that they're all separate, there's no flow, is wrong. Like, these guys have always shown that when they're on the floor together, or if it's just two of them, they play within, they play off of each other in a way that I think a lot of people assume that they don't. Mm. And so you can't just put up 141 points uh, by, like, just being really good at one-on-one basketball, right? Like, there's some team flow. Yes. So I, I mean this this Bucks series is going to be so damn exciting. It's going to be terrifying but exciting. It was I mean and just to add one little last bit on that yes. like at the end of that last <clears throat> game game 5, we began to see the Nick Claxton lobs. We began to see yes. some more Bruce Brown pick and roll. Like it felt like it was coming back online a little bit. Like I felt like at, to your point like we we definitely didn't respect the Celtics. Thought like, "Eh, maybe this will be a good time to get just get KD into like you know, KD mode and just like rip some, some mid rangers over Romeo Langford or whoever, uh, or Grant Williams, who was having a, himself a series. He really made a name for himself out there. He did actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so and I'm wondering if like, I came from like, okay guys, like time to actually, you know, pl- plan to do a little bit more of what we're going to do next series in, in this game. Maybe, I don't know. It's a thought. Yeah. I, I was always kind of like, what, why are they not doing the pick and roll lobs with Nick Claxton as much? And, Nick Claxton's minutes in the Celtics series is always it was just very strange that he wasn't getting more minutes, but it did kind of grow as the series went along. Mm-hmm. They're gonna need I mean, as much as I love Blake Griffin, he really had a bad series for the most part against yeah. the Celtics. And it makes me doubt how effective he'll be against Brooke Lopez, Giannis on all those guys. Yeah. You know, I'd previously thought that Blake was going to be important, but now I, and Jeff Green, Jeff Green needs to come back from injury. He was not wearing the boot um, while he was on the sidelines for this game. So, well, Blake we'll Griffin see. seems to not be wanting to take long range shots anymore, which is an interesting development, or at least not as many of them. So like, he's not in that Venn diagram of what he and Jeff Green do. Like that part of it's, getting a little bit more further apart it's a little little distance which is not great that's that you know part of having him out there is because it's everyone's a floor spacer in that first lineup um yeah that's not working that's not great yeah 
but there's so much to dissect. So much. Let's not out. let's not get into the woods. This is I a think... celebration, Mike. We're popping bottles today. <laughs> uh, first, the first game, at least as basketball reference has it, uh, game one, Bucks Nets is Saturday night, seven thirty p.m. Uh, that is tasty and exciting, and can't wait to watch it. But for your enjoyment, uh, coming up after the break, we have Bilga Abiri from New York Magazine and Vulture. He is a film critic. He's also a Nets fan. Uh, we compare, killer comparison, uh, NBA teams in the path that the Nets could face in the playoffs to revenge movies. Uh, super fun, and there's some good stuff in there. So catch you next time. All right, welcome back to the show. And joining us now is Bilga Urbiri, who is the film critic for New York Magazine and Vulture. Uh, Bilga, you're w- one of the most prominent Nets fans on Twitter. Um, you, I mean, we've been Twitter interacting for a while, and we thought of a perfect... We, I've been wanting to have you on the show for about a few months now. We've figured out the perfect segment to have you on. But first, welcome to the show. Um, tell people a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the audience if they don't know who you are. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It has been, uh, I'm not lying when I say it has been a long dream of mine to be on the Glue Guys podcast. Um, I think this was the first Nets podcast I started listening to, uh, and I still listen religiously. So, uh, it's kind of cool to be here. Um, it's so sweet. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, as far as who I am, uh, I, I mean, for people wondering about my name, it's, it's Turkish. Um, but, uh, I have, you know, I've been a film critic for 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 many many years, and um, my basketball fandom has has tended to wax and wane. I mean, I was one of those kids who really got into uh, basketball because of Michael Jordan um, in you know late '80s, early '90s, and um, and in fact, you know, my my journey <laughs> to the Nets kind of was related to that because uh, being a big Jordan fan, I I hated uh, the Knicks. Um, and, uh, you know, going to school in, in like the, 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 the metro area, you know, those like, you could watch nationally broadcast games, which are not that many, but uh, then you had to kind of pick between, um, the Nets and the Knicks. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, the Nets are all right. They're not the Knicks. I, I think, I, I think these guys are pretty good. Um, and then when they moved to Brooklyn, uh, I, you know, I kind of became, a, a full-fledged fan and started actually going to games at Barclays and, and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah. You made the right choice. You made the right <laughs> choice. Um, quick question before we get really, truly started. Sure. Best basketball movie. Why is it hoop dreams? <laughs> get, and, you know, quick I'll just question. The hardest question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the best basketball movie? Yeah. Well, I love hoop dreams. Um, as a, as a, I mean, certainly best basketball documentary and one of the best documentaries of all time. But in, if we're doing like, um, narrative uh basketball i have a a soft spot for um for blue chips william friedkin's blue chips which at the time it came out was was not very well liked at all but i remember just really loving it um and you know my my son uh who's 12 is is just like obsessed with basketball and obsessed with the nets um so so we see basically every basketball movie, including uh, random basketball movies from the past that like nobody remembers. Um, but try, uh, try me. What do we, we got? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, is it uh, is it is um, is it Thunderstruck the one starring Kevin Durant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that one I have not seen, but it's I've seen the the DVD box art. I've seen that. I, I've been uh, I've been also DMing with the screenwriter to Thunderstruck. Oh, and yeah. I've been awesome. flirting with bringing him is on. Is that true? Tell me that that's true. <laughs> he, Mike, we were... <laughs> Mike, Mike's DM game is legendary at this point. It's it's really uh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're I, at some point we we're gonna have him on, and then he he was like super into the election, meaning like he at anti-Trump, and he would like make these really great like anti-Trump videos, like relating to movies and stuff like that. And then so we kind of got lost in the weeds a little bit there. We're going to have him on at some point, and we're going to awesome. break down Thunderstruck because it's an important film in Nets history at this point. Um, and I think you can only watch it, like, you have, you have to fly to China to watch it, basically, at this point. Yeah. So I'm well, excited It was on Netflix for, for many years. Um, <laughs> I think I have, like, a, a bootleg DVD. Of it. <laughs> yeah, I want that. I want that DVD. <laughs> um, I'm going to close my window really quick. Mike. You guys keep going. Yeah. So why why we have a special segment, and I think it relates back. This is a perfect moment, and I'm so glad we're doing it now. 
is that the Nets have just defeated the Boston Celtics. And if you're listening to this, Brian and I had a whole sort of preamble leading up into this moment about how uh, and what an amazing feeling it is that after all these years, Brian and I have been doing uh, this podcast since the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade. Basically night of, like we started it right after, right? And the slog, what a a slog, a beautiful, terrible slog that it was. Um, Sean Kilpatrick and Donald Sloan and, and hoping Chris McCullough was the next Kevin Durant himself, like you, like all the things you kind of trick your mind into as a fan, and and literally, um, the uh, the the Nets got their revenge as a franchise. So what we're doing, this is a killer comparisons revenge movies to Nets playoff opponents, NBA teams. Okay, so it's from a Nets perspective, and what I did was I, I gave Bilga and Brian and myself a list of. Of revenge movies and what's classified as a revenge movie sometimes is a little strange. Um, there's some movies on the list you're like, really? But then uh, we kind of try to match them up with the teams in the playoffs. And I think we should start with the Celtics. And I even broke it out. I have one separate one for Danny Ainge and Sean Marks. But Bilga, why don't you start because you're a guest and we want <laughs> you to be comfortable on the show. Uh, what was your Celtics revenge movie that, that felt right to you? Well, to me, it has to be Carrie. Um, and and I think you were the one who actually first pointed out that Carrie is kind of a revenge movie because uh, I hadn't thought of it in that way. But Carrie kind of works because, well, because, you know, the Celtics, basically, their great sin was to humiliate us uh, at a time when we were young and tender and naive and inexperienced <laughs> and didn't really know how the wit- world the world worked. Mm. Um, and you know, the Celtics and, and Danny Ainge basically kind of took us for a ride, uh, thinking that <laughs> made making us think that they were our friends. <laughs> um, and they were helping that they yeah. were helping the Nets here. Yeah. Here are these two stars, Pierce and Garnett. Right? Yeah, they, they were helping uh, our young team and our new owner. Um, and in fact, they absolutely humiliated us and spent <laughs> the last however many years laughing at us. I mean, and that's kind of the the main sin. Like, I don't. You know, I, I can't think of like a ton of aside. Obviously, the Kyrie stuff of the past couple of years has exacerbated all this. But like before that, I never thought of the Celtics as being like the Nets' mortal enemy in that way. Um, but really, this, you know, this the humiliation mm. um, is very much like you know the prom scene in in Carrie. You know, because that's ultimately what it is. It's just a humiliation, and mm. and you know she goes nuts and rages and burns the place down which i guess is what we sort of did and it's, in, it. a, it's like, in a gymnasium you yeah know, right true, gymnasium. true. Yeah. lots of parallels there yeah, yeah. the yeah. and and so i mean there's obviously not it's not who who's spilling blood on whose head at that point right i don't know but we, we literally i mean we were speaking today Danny Ainge is leaving the Celtics organization and Brad Stevens is no longer the head coach. He's going to be in basketball operations. Like, and we've talked about this before the show. There was a funny fake story that was floating around that it was written as if it was from ESPN where it said sources told ESPN, which again, not true, that Danny Ainge was so mad about Kyrie stomping on the Celtic logo that he... He said, quote, to the other players in the Celtics, let's go get that bastard and go get him. And you know what? It's kind of sad that, that like, that's a fake news bit, right? You, you tee that up. Not as, true. Yeah, yeah, not, not true. true. Yeah, not true. Yeah. Not true. Yeah. yeah. And the, the funny thing is it was almost, it is almost believable, right? Like how, thing. how insane things have gotten. Yeah. I read it and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> Whoever photoshopped the ESPN stuff, they did a great job, really an artist. Um, Brian, do you have a revenge movie for Celtics? I do. And I borrowed a lot of what Bilga was saying here. Um, in, in doing also the sort of like rubric for like what would fit here, I thought it was an interesting thing to kind of consider the matrix of revenge films. You know, I just wanted to like tee this part of it up, which is yeah. that like there's kind of a matrix there of like the scale of the initial violation versus <laughs> the scale of the response, right? So there's like you can have something that's, you know, really terrible happen to you and then you like very quickly and succinctly get revenge. Or you can go, you know, the other direction, very, you know, long-term 
you know, anyways, there's a whole bunch of different ways to chop that up. And so I was thinking about that with regards to this, and I, I came to the conclusion that I think the Ving Rhames scene in Pulp Fiction where he gets revenge <laughs> on on um, Zed, I think, Zed's dead, uh, is, is sort of came to mind because, like, I was thinking of the Nets as, like, being way late. We were on a journey that was totally not involving Boston. It was like, a, you know, we were on our own hero's path. And then suddenly we are waylaid by years because of this, you know, with these people inserted themselves, you know, into our lives. And then we were in a, in a basement dungeon for, you know, four years. And so, and so now we're finally freed of that. And I thought it was a nice succinct because like the moments in which he's like, we're going to go medieval on your ass. He like one, one understands that he brutally, but quickly kills Zed and, and moves on uh, with his, with his journey. <laughs> and that's, that's, and for those reasons for that, like, you know, that temporal kind of exchange and, uh, and also, you know, to, to Bilga's point, the humi- the amount of humiliation involved in that was, is still, it's still, you know, there in, in Ving Rhames, it's, it's much more of a private humiliation, but a humiliation on the, nonetheless. Um, so anyways, I thought that that was the, that was the comp for me. I have, so I have two movies in two different levels for this. I, so I said the Celtics was like the Revenant. You know, literally the Nets were left in the wilderness of the NBA. Their future was stolen. Uh, if you haven't seen the the Revenant, I don't know if I can recommend. I mean, Bill, you you know better than I. I mean, it's a great movie. Uh, it's a tough. It's a tough slogging watch, and I almost feel like outside the movie theater, it's it's tougher. Right, like I, you need to be trapped in a room to to watch the remaining movie because it's a tough, tough movie all do, throughout. Do you agree with that, Billy? Is that where do you stand on the Revenant? Hot takes I, only. I am I am not a Revenant fan. That's um, that's what I like to hear. That's where I, I stand. I, I, yeah. I do that, that that director, you know, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu is 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 you know famously contentious in in film critic and film Twitter circles. There are a lot of oh, people great. who hate him and mm. a lot of people who love him. And um, I'm sort of in the middle in that he's made several films I really love, including Birdman and Amoris Peros, and then several films I, I despise, like uh, Babel and um, was it uh, 21 Grams? Um, mm. And uh, and The Revenant it, it struck me as a movie. I mean, I'm not going to go into a whole film criticism thing, but, but <laughs> I, I watched watch that movie. And, and, and later on, <laughs> finding out that you know, two like shot that movie and then won the Oscar for uh, Birdman and then edited the movie. Like that makes perfect sense to me because I'm like, there's like a great hundred minute movie in here waiting to get out. But yeah, it's like the director was like garlanded with Oscars halfway through the <laughs> yeah. production and like nobody was willing to say no to him afterwards. Yes. Um, but you know, Leo's great. I think Tom Hardy is actually secretly like the best thing about that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and it's obviously it is you know absolutely intense uh production and everybody in that film like everybody who worked on that film clearly is working at the top of their uh top of their game in terms of you know stunts production design all that so i have a lot of admiration for the movie not a big fan of the actual movie right and and i think so there's an appreciation for what went into it but the thing that actually came out of it you're like you see it once and then that's it you don't need to see it again um (laughs) so the cell so for me revenant i mean again if you haven't seen the movie the Nets are Hugh Glass. They're Leo DiCaprio. They're they're left for dead, and Tom Hardy goes on and goes on in his journey after leaving Leo for dead. Tom Hardy is obviously the Celtics. I went another step further, and and this is a very current movie, so I understand if our audience hasn't watched it yet. But Danny Ainge and Sean Marks to me is like Cruella. Okay, I just wow. just I did the wow. premiere access. I did the twenty nine ninety nine plus tax. Uh, wow. on Disney Plus to watch Cruella. One, way better than I thought it was going to be. Pretty, It's pretty good. Um, seen it, yeah. Pretty good. Um, and I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but it's, I mean, it's Cruella. It's, this isn't, you know, Macbeth, but it, basically, Emma Stone's character is getting revenge in the movie. And you find out why during the movie, but she's getting revenge. Um, and she's the young up-and-comer, uh, and she's going against sort of the old power establishment. And Danny Ainge has, you know, he was part of the Celtics teams as a player in the past. Uh, he's been with the Celtics for a long time. He's part of the the infrastructure there and now is no longer. And then Sean Marks is Emma Stone. He's uh, And he has crazy hair, Sean Marks, and so does uh, Emma Stone in the movie. So it works perfectly. And if you haven't seen the movie, you know, it's, it's not worth $30, uh, but it <laughs> it's... Is. It's worth it's worth watching when it becomes 
available on Disney Plus. It's a yeah. fun ride. I'll, I'll pick up that Blu-ray at Dollar General when it, when it, when it comes <laughs> out for sure. Um, let's move on to the 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I'll start here and then Bill will go to you. So for the 76ers, I had Rocky four, um, Rocky four is an interesting movie within the revenge movie spectrum. Of course it's a revenge movie. I mean, Apollo Creed is murdered in the ring and Rocky trains to fight Drago, uh, because his friend was murdered in the ring. Uh, so I say it's like the 76ers because that Nets-Sixers matchup in the playoffs in 2019 with D'Lo, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Dudley, that whole crew, they were like Apollo Creed. They weren't ready for the fight. They didn't train properly. And in came you know this, this juggernaut of a talented team in the 76ers and basically dispatched with the Nets pretty quickly. And now the Nets have just been in that snowy cabin just getting, just getting big, injecting HGH, and getting ready to fight the Russians. Um, and the Russians are the 76ers. So the Nets are Rocky. Uh, Rocky Four is the 76ers. Wow. Bill, what do you say? I, I, I like that comparison. I, I hadn't quite thought of it in that way. Um, I am, in this case, perhaps blinded by my uh, hatred of the 76ers. But, <laughs> but I'm going to go with John Wick for this one. Um, oh, God. Because, um, th- you know, they, uh, first of all, I, I, I really dislike, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are actually from Philadelphia and are 76ers fans, so I, I should trade carefully, but but I won't. Um, you know, I just, I, I hate the, the, the culture, the, the, the tanking culture and just everything about their team in that way. I think, you know, I'm sure Ben Simmons is a, is a, is a perfectly nice guy in person, but he just seems to Pro- be probably not. Yeah, a, a, a vaguely ridiculous human <laughs> being, I, you yeah. know, posting, you know, Instagram stories of him dunking on Tyler Johnson and stuff like that. Um, so uh, there's just a lot of things about the 76ers that, that just rub me the wrong way. And, and they just, there's just this like sense of entitlement there that I don't know that, that reminds me of the bad guys in John wick um, mm, mm. who, you know, who kind of don't know who they're messing with uh, when they mess with John wick. And then also because there's a little bit of history there. Um, I mean, obviously, the uh, the 76ers Nets playoff series that you mentioned, and also that the fight, uh, the big fight, um, and kind of the, the the back and forth between Jared Dudley and Ben Simmons and all that. That sort of is like the 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 central sin, like the, the you know th- that is the killing our dog. <laughs> I guess <laughs> Jared, part of is it. Jared Dudley the dog. I, I, I don't I don't want to call anyone the dog puppy, but but, but <laughs> yeah. yeah the sweet puppy uh that our that our uh wife gave us yeah um but um but i think there's also this like weird history of you know in order to uh enter the nba uh the nets basically had to you know give up dr j um who then became a sixers legend right i mean so mm. so there mm. is that and in, and in john wick there is that history right because you know, the Russian mobsters that he's fighting are the people he used to work for. Like, he kind of helped put them where they are. Um, so, and now he's back to, you know, basically kill them all. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, that, that, that's why I thought Sixers. I really should have gone before you, Bill, because yours is so much better. That's, that's, a t- <laughs> that's, the, that connected on so many levels. And plus, also, mine is the first repeat, which is this is the one where I went the Revenant. I, I struggled, I struggled with this one. Quite a bit because it was one of the few that we actually have a recent past with, like we we're saying the series. And so for that reason, I was like, well, we got like mauled in that, in the way that we get mauled <laughs> by a bear. But like, he's not really trying to exact revenge on the bear. The bear is just an agent of chaos from the <laughs> revenge. So I struggled. Um, but ultimately, I guess I went just for the for the recency of the of the attack, the bear attack. Sure, um, <laughs> I, went, I went for I went for that route. Um, but yeah, that's where I went. Um, next one up. I have on my list is the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Bilga, we'll start with you. What was your Milwaukee Bucks revenge movie killer comparison? I, I, I struggled to come up with a, a, a really good one for this one, but but the the one I settled actually on um, Return of the Jedi, which one doesn't think <laughs> of as a re- revenge movie, except that you know it was originally called revenge of the jedi so presumably it was supposed to be a revenge movie <laughs> mm. um but um 
I, I thought of that mainly because the, the Bucks for the last several years have been so uh, seemingly dominant. Um, and they feel like they've always felt like the one team that just we were just never going to beat. And we'll see what happens in the, in the playoffs. I mean, you know, it's going to be a tough series. Uh, but, um, you know, because Giannis was so dominant. I mean, the last two years, uh, you know, you always got, I always got the sense that the, the Nets – the 2018, 2019, and 2019-2020 Nets um, sort of had it in them to to be able to basically play any team, even though they obviously lost a lot of games. Um, but the Bucks were the one, every time I saw them on the schedule, I was like, well, that's a scheduled loss. We're just going to get completely destroyed. Mm. Um, even though, you know, they did actually manage to win a couple of those games. Um, so I thought of the Bucks as like basically the empire. <laughs> they, yeah. <laughs> empire and yet also kind of like the also like the empire in that you know once the playoffs started they turned out to have a bit of a glass jaw uh, although this year they don't seem to have that but um but in the past they have you know they have been this death star uh but um but also there's like a, a thing right in the center of it that you can access and you can just like yeah. destroy it <laughs> the, brian what do you um, like to call it the, the anal canal of the of the death <laughs> that's right, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's the, yeah you know yeah, um, and, so, yeah, and if, yeah if you link it brooke lopez huge star wars fan right makes a lot i mean it makes a lot of sense um <laughs> so if the nets are the rebels who's luke who's han and who's leia yeah well, the whole team, it can mean the whole thing can be summarized by Luke as in just like he comes in a little bit retooled, right? I mean, basically, like, I stole yours after I saw you and when you DM'd us. I was like, that's actually the best version of the Bucks. I had some like placeholder gladiator there and I was like, this is, this is not going to cut it. But I totally agree because especially because Luke comes back with a little bit more bag or tricks in his bag. Um, right, right. You know, that's the whole deal. Yeah. And Giannis is like Darth Vader, I guess. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a terrible thing to say about Giannis. Budenholzer like is the emperor. The emperor. He looks good. Yeah. This is, yeah and Giannis will eventually yeah. throw Budenholzer into. Wow. The chasm. The yeah. chasm. And then yeah. Budenholzer will come back, you know, 15 years from now or however long ago. What was episode nine between it's a quick episode. turnaround it's yeah 15 years max i want to say <laughs> it's, it, it, i can't remember yeah. if somebody pointed out i haven't i've only watched return uh or re, the you know the last one what the hell was it called rise of skywalker no, um, I, was, I was like what is that movie called i think of it as nine now because it's so i right. wanted to kind of separate it from my brain as much as i could I, I i think i only saw it once uh but i think somebody pointed out that everything in that movie like Palpatine's return basically happens over the course of like two days. <laughs> so it's like ultimately a minor news story in the in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Um, everything they literally just hop a few planets and like he's back and then he's dead. Right? Yeah. He's dead again. Um I had so I went off book and you know, uh, the creator's rights here. Sure. Um I did not go with a revenge movie because you know, the Bucks and ultimately one of the central players who we've already talked about, Brooke Lopez. There's no revenge the Nets could have for Brooke Lopez. So what I compared it to of all the uh, of the great vast library of films that America has produced, uh, La La Land. And I say it's like La La Land. I specifically Brooke Lopez is Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are the Nets. Uh, and I mean that because if you remember in La La Land, uh, they had they they broke up. They had to break up. Right. And then we get to see they break up and then they both achieve a certain level of success. Emma Stone becomes this international movie star. Ryan Gosling finally owns the jazz club that he had been so wanting to own for so very, very long. Uh, the Nets become this this juggernaut by trading Brooke Lopez. That was really, of course, you know, getting Sean Marks around the team. Kenny Atkinson to coach the team. Those are important moments. Trading Brooke for D'Lo is what put the Nets on the trajectory to becoming the juggernaut that they are. And Ryan Gosling is like Brooke Lopez because Ryan Gosling, I mean, he breaks up with someone who ends up being, I'm guessing, is like the Julia Roberts of the La La Land world. Like if we're, that's a reality, the La La Land reality. Um, that's who I'm assuming. Ryan Gosling then just like becomes like this nice role player in the fabric of Los Angeles. Um, and Brooke went from going to the Lakers, having a bad year with the Lakers, kind of was like floating of like, how much longer is Brooke Lopez going to play basketball? 
to becoming an extremely important role player on a team that you compare to the Death Star in the Empire. So they are, to me, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling in La La Land. They had to break up to both achieve the level of success that they're in. And I'm getting to look at my list, and pretty much Emma Stone's on yeah, every one of them. I was going to say, so are you working through her, her discography here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> meticulously. Wow. Um, next one up, we're going to go Knicks. Are you ready to do Knicks? I'm ready. Brian, do you have a Knicks, or do you want... I do. It's a, it's a quick and easy one, too. Um, so for Knicks, I went with the scene in Office Space where they beat up the printer, where they, like, attack <laughs> the printer. Because, like, for me, the Knicks don't pose a real viable threat, and so the revenge here is mostly against something that's passive and, and symbolic, uh, a nuisance, right? Um, and and so we're never going to play them. We're not going to do it. But they still, like, exist this, like, this croaking, obnoxious, you know, old piece of technology that needs to go away. And <laughs> and when we, and if and when we actually do play them, I feel very confident that it would be like smashing a printer with a bat. Um, so for that reason, I went with the Office Space <laughs> printer, <laughs> printer scene. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Bill, um, Well, um, the, I have a two-part answer to this one. Nice. Uh, because if I, if I were a, a, a rational, uh, sober-minded human being, and was able to look at this situation objectively. I would probably say this is kind of like Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. um, which actually is a is a revenge movie because it's basically about Batman uh, trying to you know take revenge on Superman. Um, in part because um, because of like you know Batman has Gotham and Superman has Metropolis, and originally uh, you know both those cities were basically stand-ins for New York, uh, but because of you know corporate demands and the need to put them in the same universe now mm. they're like two separate cities that are like across yes, the water from this each is other. great yeah um so uh I, I you know and and look for many years i mean look brooklyn is is new york uh but for the purposes of of you know um the nba uh it, they are now two different cities that are that are like intense rivals with each other um and also because you know it, the Knicks and the Nets are ultimately kind of probably on the same team in some weird way and, and are being made to fight each other mm. uh, because that spectacle is, is exciting and interesting to people. Yeah. But of course, someone who hates the the Knicks, um, it's very hard for me to actually make this argument in a sincere way. Um, so I'm going to go with Heathers <laughs> because, <laughs> yes. you yeah. know, the, the Knicks to me seem uh very entitled and and empty and and undeserving of their status mm. uh and and we are willing to uh make a deal with the literal devil to destroy them <laughs> wow i love that <laughs> the superman well in this case actually so is metropolis i mean you'd have to say manhattan is metropolis in that mm-hmm. in that example which makes us batman which yeah. i would take which i take any day honestly that's what oh, that's yeah. the better yeah Absolutely. yeah those Absolutely. are great um i have this is a little too on the nose, so like I'm nope. not even going to try to – Gangs of New York. Uh, Very but, on the nose. But even though the, – again, another Leo DiCaprio movie, and I'm Daniel Day-Lewis is going to make a reappearance later in my list. Um, you know, it's a revenge – it's a classic revenge movie. His father was killed, Leo's father, and he comes back and he changes his name. And the Nets – in a way, their name has been changed from the New Jersey Nets to the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. They're New York teams. Uh, and even, like, the the Knicks kind of have the Billy, like, what's it, Billy the Butcher? Is that? Bill. Bill the Butcher. Bill, Bill the Butcher. Butcher. Yeah. Kind of have that energy. They have that energy a little bit. Like, sure, sure. They're, they are the entrenched power uh, in the city. They don't want to give up their power uh, that they have. And the Nets are this ragtag group of dead rabbits uh <laughs> and uh want to sort of become want to overtake the entrenched power that daniel day lewis and his glass eye mm. have uh so gangs of new york basic but it felt, it felt like that fit nice, nice. um los angeles lakers bilga you start off lakers um i'm gonna go with the count of monte cristo uh mm. for this Ooh. one um and and, and you know, obviously, there have been a, a ver- variety of versions of Count of Monte Cristo, but I think for our purposes, probably the the two thousand two movie makes the most sense. Um, 
2002 also happens to be the year the uh, the Lakers defeated, swept the Nets in the, mm. the NBA Finals. Um, and so, you know, all these, all you know, because the thing about Count of Monte Cristo is about a guy who just spends years plotting his revenge while the rest of the world just, you know, forgets he exists. Mm. Um, so that is, and, and basically gets really good at everything. Thing. He becomes like a, a genius um, and learns everything about the world and um, basically kind of just, uh, you know, turns into almost a superhero to try and get back. And um, I don't know, I can't, I can't remember if the novel has this, but the movie has, I think the, the bad guy marries uh, the hero's fiance, yeah. uh, and who in this case is Jason Kidd. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who led us to the finals but is now sitting uh you know helpless uh damsel uh <laughs> as a as an assistant yeah. coach for the for the <laughs> lakers um and is probably you know just counting the days until he can get out of there yeah i i mean to me anytime it kind of money chris i was so excited to put it on the list because <laughs> it's such a rich movie and like it's it's both like incredibly goofy, old fashioned, but yeah, I love it. Like I love, I just love. I mean, I could lie if there was like a three year cycle of a Count of Monte Cristo, as if it was the Olympics. If there's every four years we had a Count of Monte Cristo, I would be excited by that prospect. You know what's so interesting is so while you were explaining that like rationalization, it's very similar to the rationalization that I had for my movie, which was Cape Fear, to the point where I almost think there's like a midterm essay out there for some for some film student, you know, for comparing <laughs> Monte Cristo and Monte Cristo to Cape Fear. Because basically it's the same idea, right? Max Cady has this, you know, all the time to he's he's you know sent him to prison and becomes kind of a super genius slash super monster um that comes back to <clears throat> to right the wrongs that he feels um, were, were dealt to him. Um, so yeah, basically the exact same premise, but just swapping out um, a Cajun accented, or I don't even know, where is that accent from? Uh, Robert, De, Robert De Niro. Um, I have There Will Be Blood for oh, wow. Lakers Nets. That's a revenge um, movie, huh? Interesting. It, it becomes a, re I mean, it's not, right, it's not purely, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. about capitalism and all whatever but uh it does become one in the end obviously when he when daniel day lewis bashes paul dano's head with a with a bowling pin yeah um it's pretty uh that's <laughs> that's a rough ending so the and it, you know there's a lot that that goes into it i don't i couldn't figure out who like which team was who and who which team do, would you want like would you rather be daniel day lewis or would you rather be paul dano you know what I mean? Like in, in that scene, it, well, yeah. just, just as yeah. light in life. Yeah. Like, would you rather be this rich person, but who's an alcoholic, has no friends, lives by himself in his mansion? Or I guess, would you rather be Paul Dano, who was like, comes this like religious figure, but also ends up penniless. And, you know, like, it's not like a great, there's no winners and there will be blood. It's yeah. all losers. Um, but you know, California. It's it's based in California, nice. and and they're they're both trying to attain the same thing. Not oil. They're trying to get power. Both the Nets and the Lakers are trying to be these like they're trying to be super teams. The Lakers are. They are already the preeminent franchise in the NBA. The Nets are trying to be that. The Nets aren't trying to beat the Knicks. They're trying to actually beat the Lakers and people like that to become the team that if you're a star. You just want to go to the Nets. And the Lakers are that team right now. Um, can the Nets dr get all the oil out of the land around the ranch that Paul Dano is protecting or whatever mm. he's doing? That's what they're trying to do as we speak. Well, so. Maybe that's what the smoothies are. They're not yeah. actually smoothies. They're milkshakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are drinking. And, and we drink we them are up. drinking the milkshake. <laughs> drainage. Um, drainage. God. And just I like reading... Like the just even reading the Wikipedia description of the movie, which like it, it wanted like so you're like, what the hell is this movie when you're reading it? But like you just begin to think about the scenes in that movie and the lines and you're like, oh my that 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 movie just gets better 
Yeah. It's the opposite oh, yeah. of The Revenant. The, the titling <laughs> of that movie does a pretty big disservice, I think, to how how little blood there is ultimately inside. It's just a little bit, just on a one. Just on a one tiny bit of blood. Bowling but, pin. Yeah. But the mo- calling a movie a tiny bit of blood. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't sell. There'll be a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of little bit of blood. All right. So the next one I, I thought was very hard. Uh, and I think, Bilgo, you're the only one that actually accomplished this task. The Atlanta Hawks. Um, I, I, so honestly, there's no, I have no uh, animosity towards the Atlanta Hawks. They've been as irrelevant as the Nets have been. Um, Trey Young, I'm actually gleeful of the way Trey Young's been uh, acting in the Knicks series. I like how the, the Hawks going into the series were acting like everyone was saying, oh, the Knicks are so tough, and the Hawks have actually shown to be the mentally tougher team. Um, I've enjoyed all that, so I have no <laughs> no animosity towards the Atlanta Hawks, but what did you come up with? Well, I, I was kind of in the same boat. Um, so I, I went with, actually, um, I went with Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, um, <laughs> which is, you know, which is kind of a revenge movie. Um, but... But it's interesting because, and you know, Clint Eastwood made a lot of movies that were revenge movies, like much, much kind of clearer revenge movies over the course of his career. But then, you know, by the time it came to Unforgiven, I think he really wanted to just like interrogate the myth of the Western and 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 his own iconography. Um, so you know, the the film is you know, for much of the film, you're watching Gene Hackman, you know, who was the ostensible villain of the film, but he's not really doing anything villainous. I mean, you, you're, you, you, you know, he's the sheriff of this town trying to keep things, you know, under control and, and at times failing to, um, and then he becomes kind of a villain at the end, but, but that was kind of the situation I find myself with. The, like right now I am rooting for the Hawks yeah. <laughs> to, to beat the Knicks pretty Huge fiercely. Way. Um, and I mean, it looks like they probably will, in which case I will be rooting even more fiercely for them to beat the Sixers. Um, and so I'm going to have like basically a three or four week period where I was c- pretty consistently rooting for the Hawks. And if by some, you know, by some happenstance, they do wind up facing off against the Nets, that's going to be a pretty shocking reversal for me. And so, so the idea that, and then if we do, you know, if we do dispatch the Hawks, if it does happen, um, you know, it won't be revenge. It'll be, you know, it's just business. This is kind of, you know, deserves got nothing to do with it. Right, um, right. Yeah. Um, and even though by the end of by the end of Unforgiven, uh, Clint Eastwood's character is pretty much completely just drowning in vengeance. But um, <laughs> but I kind of like the idea of watching a movie where where the ostensible bad guy uh is for much of the film not that bad a guy um by i mean by the standards of like a, a western movie um so anyway that, that that's 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 what i went with but there was also there's also a little part of me that's you know if i were a hawks fan i would i would maybe think of carlito's way a little bit which isn't mm-hmm. a revenge movie but it, it's got that um you know al pacino plays this this um ex-con uh mobster who come kind of comes back um comes back to to uh to new york and then uh john leguizamo plays this young up-and-comer named benny blanco from the bronx who tries to be friends with him early on and is you know basically dismissed and ignored and then right at the end of the movie uh comes back and kills him Mm. (laughs) Um, and uh and so i thought there's a little bit of benny blanco from the bronx in uh trey young too um also because he's i think like he idolizes steve nash um, and would probably want love nothing more than to do away with Steve Nash's team yeah. <laughs> in the playoffs. That's that's so good. There's so many like because I, I was trying to think about this one too, and there's so many parallels for like mob stuff because there's this yeah. like friendship slash business like, like as, as you say deserves right. got nothing to do with it. And for that reason, I was like thinking about like Donnie Brasco, but it didn't quite fit mm-hmm. because in that case, I would say you know we're more of the. Uh, Pacino character, so because just like the older figurehead, maybe not. I don't know. It's hard to say. Hard to say. I couldn't figure it out. But I think I think Unforgiven is like the best of the bunch. That's a great one. Yeah. So to get, go with the mob one, and I'll just move to the Clippers. So I had the Godfather for that one. Uh, interesting. And, wow. And I think we all went mob. Very simply, that and, and that's a, that's also like when I was talking about like what's a, it's a weird to think of the Godfather as a revenge movie because it obviously revenge is had and it's an important. It's extremely important part of the plot, but to me, like it ascends revenge because the scope and what you're trying to, 
what the movie is trying to do in a lot of different levels. It's not as simple as like John Wick where a puppy is killed, right? <laughs> While John Wick is a better movie than The Godfather, I think we all know that. Uh, <laughs> it 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 The Godfather, I'd never thought of it as a, it's like is Die Hard a Christmas movie. I don't think of The Godfather as a revenge movie because you so thoroughly understand why Michael is doing what he is doing, right? Like it, it almost doesn't feel like revenge. It it feels like business. It's business, right? Whatever. Um, but I say it's the Clippers and Nets. Mm. They're both these upstart guerrilla organizations trying to hold power, and it's like the warring families that are in The Godfather. And if we're even go further, Lawrence Frank is Tessio. You know, he's the traitor. He's the guy who slipped. <laughs> You know, Lawrence Frank is now in a power position at yeah. the Clippers. Um, so I, I, it's because the tension of Godfather, I mean, ultimately it's criminals against criminals, right? So it's not, it's not like there's a good person and then there's a bad person. It's just that we get the perspective of one of the good people, of or not one of the good people, one of the bad people. That's what side we're on. Um, not that the Clippers and Nets are bad, but they're both trying to gain stars to beat the Knicks or the Lakers in the Clippers situation overtake them as the power. And by doing that, they're getting these, this influx of, of uh, manpower in some way. Uh, so I go the Godfather Clippers nets. Bill, what do you got? I, I, I like that. I, I, I like that comparison. Um, I, I went with face off because, <laughs> um, I love that. because we're basically, <laughs> the same teams, right? I mean, we're not, well, obviously they're, they're, you know, very different in many ways, but you know, the, the journey, um, and kind of the status is, is very similar. It's, you know, the, the, the younger sibling team in the big city, um, that's, that, that was scrappy. And we kind of had, I mean, the, the, the 2019 playoffs was similar in that the, the, the Clippers, um, you know, the, the, the Clippers were kind of a surprise, uh, team during the first round of the playoffs. And, and the Nets were as well, you know, at least for for about a day. <laughs> um, but um, but then you know, and they were both kind of seen as these these scrappy uh, underdog teams that were you know punching above their weight, um, and were both kind of led by you know sixth man of the year type candidates. Um, in you know, um, and uh, so and face off. Even though I mean, there's obviously a good guy and a <laughs> bad guy in face off. I love the fact that it's just like, you know, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage changing, trading faces. Mm. Um, so they're, it's kind of like you, sometimes you don't know who you're really rooting for. And, and you know, one is pretending to be the other. Um, and it's just this like, you know, delirious um, sense of like you're rooting. I mean, one of the things I love about that movie is... Um, uh, you know the, the the spectacle of uh, John Travolta trying to act like Nicolas Cage, um, or uh, or look like him in the body. That's my that's my favorite suspension yeah. of disbelief. Is that like I don't know? Does Nick Cage have like five inches on John Travolta and like minus <laughs> I don't know sixty pounds? You know, different yeah, bodies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What would be like the two actors today or two actresses that you would like to see try to emulate oh, wow. each other? Like I know this is a tough one. There's like. The female like, lead reboot of that is a thing that should happen for sure, and like, lean in and lean into that with two very different body types too. Like that's it could be a comedy. Like we could Clint Eastwood as Jim Carrey, right? Because I know Jim Carrey could do Clint Eastwood, but can Clint Eastwood do a Jim Carrey approximate like something like oh, yeah. you have to you want to go as far away from each other as possible? Um, I don't think anyone would see Face Off two. Jim Carrey actually a lot of people would probably see I, I would Face Off two. Watch on. that movie a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would watch it today. I know they are making. Aren't they making a sequel to Face Off or or some what? breaking there's, news? There's or supposed to be some kind of Face Off. I'll look it up. Um, yeah. yeah, either like a. a I want to say is it a TV show or. I don't know. If it's a um, TV, how do you keep facing? How do you keep facing off? You know. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. It was big news like a a year ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, it's coming out. We got action it. sequel coming out. Doesn't have wow. a date. Who's who's attached? Just just as of right now, I just see the writer. Just write it. Just talking oh, about it. It's like that's not a good sign. But <laughs> great great names though, Caster Troy. You know, come on, really, really, <laughs> fantastic. Really, yeah, illustrative. All right, so 
I don't think Brian, you don't have anyone for Jazz Nuggets, right? I, I, I pretty much don't have anyone from here on out. That's 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 where I dropped off. All right, so Bill, it's it's your show. You 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 drive the plane. Jazz Nuggets. Who who do you have for each of those teams? Um, I mean these are these are tough, obviously, because you know they're not teams we have like huge rivalries with. Uh, for for Jazz, I thought of the movie My Bodyguard, which. <laughs> Um, so good. I don't know if you guys uh, ever saw. It was a big deal when I was a kid. <laughs> I watched it as a kid a lot. Yeah, my okay. for whatever reason, my dad like kept renting this for me. I don't know this movie, so yeah. tell me. Uh, I mean, wh- what is it about? Is it about well, a bodyguard? But Brian is might it actually the Sinbad remember movie. What's it? No, is it's it the, well. Uh, uh, also, my sisters were like big into Matt Dillon. That was like right. a big yeah. part of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Matt might Dillon. actually remember uh, the, the the plot of this movie better than I would because I, I think it has literally been like thirty five years since I've seen it. But um, I would struggle. But I, it's you know it's it's a I mean no I can't do it I can't really summarize it. Yeah. The, 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 you know and so much of my you know I mean my, my conception of this movie is basically from my vague memory of it, which I'm sure is incorrect, but it's. You know, it's about a, a a young kid who's being bullied um, at school by by a, a very young Matt Dillon, uh, who just who just when you were a kid watching that movie, he just seemed positively satanic. Mm, mm. Um, and then he tries to enlist this bigger uh, kid to basically be his bodyguard. Um, and and, it, it, you know, it, in the grand scheme of things and, and through the uh, the retrospective gaze of adulthood, I can now probably see that movie as being um a cautionary tale about having like other people fight your battles for you and how like uh you know an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind or whatever but um but in 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 my conception of this you know i mean my only beef with the jazz is just the 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 last regular season game that we played with them where uh the, the big three were out and uh and i think you know most of the starters sat and Poor Alize Johnson, who I think was it was maybe his first game as a net, um, you know, was out there, uh, and they just got absolutely uh, destroyed. And now, presumably, if we wind up facing off against them, it'll be uh, you know I'd like to introduce you to my bodyguards, uh, <laughs> Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Uh, so we we brought in reinforcements. Um, so so yeah that that's that's what I had for the Jazz and then um for the Nuggets uh, you know I like the Nuggets I actually uh, you know I always kind of low key root for the Nuggets um so I don't have a, a, any kind of big beefs with them but I do uh the one I picked for that was Uncle Drew because <laughs> Uncle Drew is actually a revenge movie and um wow and also you know they have Aaron <laughs> Some Gordon. say the best revenge movie <laughs> some do. some yeah. say it. I've heard it yeah, yeah. um and and you know they've got Aaron Gordon, um, who who you know who was like the the bat one of one of the bad guys in Uncle Drew. Even though he's not actually doing anything, he is in no way the, the dominant uh, superpower that uh, he was advertised as being. Um, so I don't know. I, I thought you know good to get Uncle Drew in there. Um, got it. Got it. Yeah. Classic. Perfect. I was thinking also yeah. just generally of like you know players as as revenge characters, and I just wanted to insert that like Kyrie Irving could be like a V for Vendetta guy mm-hmm. with his sort of socio political views, <laughs> and the fact that he almost certainly owns a Guy Fox mask, almost certainly, I'm, I'm positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this was a pure delight. Um, before we go, Bilgo, your favorite, not the best, but what what is your favorite revenge movie? Is there something that comes to mind that you think? You know, and I'm not going to hold you to it. You know, I'm not, but what what comes to mind is one of your favorite ones to watch. Gosh, that's a that's a that's a good question. Um, there's probably some movie that I'm like totally forgetting that's like in my top ten of all time or whatever. I mean, like Old Boy Godfather. is is obviously yeah. fantastic. Old Boy um, was on the list. And it was on the list. Yeah. I was going to use it for the Heat, uh, but they didn't they didn't survive. But I was thinking Old Boy for Heat kind of because it's like a vague, I'm like kind of a targetless revenge story, you know. Uh, for for the vast majority, and that's sort of how I feel about the Heat. Like it's like Jimmy. I don't have anything necessarily against Jimmy, but we haven't faced Jimmy Butler. But like I, I, I do feel passionately that I want to get revenge on him for some reason. You know, can't place. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and also because it's uh, you know it's a revenge movie, uh, but then it turns out that the the actual revenge being enacted is is on the protagonist. Um, right. Which is and it's you know it's obviously an incredibly disturbing twist that we don't need to get into. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, old boy is is one that 
came to mind. The other one I um one of the other one I was thinking of, and it might be because I'm just like reading something about Brando right now, but uh One Eye Jacks, the Marlon Brando Western. No, um I don't know that one. which is which is which was not very well liked, I think, at the time that it came out, <laughs> you know, back in the fifties, early sixties, I think. Um, but is is one of my favorite westerns now. Um you know, couldn't find anything to really compare it to that one. Um, but uh, but it's mm. about you know Brando is a, is, a, is an outlaw whose 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 mates um, leave him for dead, uh, and then he comes back and and enacts revenge on um, his, his his former partner, who's played by Carl Malden, who has now become I think the sheriff of a town. Um, I could be remembering wrong, but anyway, <laughs> I'm taking notes. I'm taking these notes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this was so much fun. I I'm so glad we did this with you. I'm so glad we got you on the pod. Um, I appreciate you listening to us as much as you do. Um, and obviously we're going to see this revenge play out. The Nets have gotten revenge. If, if this was uh, Scott Pilgrim, uh, the Nets have beaten uh, one of the ex-boyfriends and they're going to keep marching their way towards Jason Schwartzman, right? He's the final boss. Never seen um, it. I know. I got. I guess I got. Oh my god! It's so yeah. good. I think it's like out in theaters right now. Didn't they re-release it? <laughs> really? Wow! Interesting. I think it's literally out in theaters. I go, right I go see that. It's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bilga. Thank, thank you. you.